0: It does, it makes me sad. Um, You know, when you're younger, you hang out with your friends a bit more, your siblings, your cousins, and everyone gets busy. And I get it, people have careers and spouses and children, but I don't think we're making enough time for each other. It takes time to have really meaningful relationships, not just someone to sit across from you on their phone at dinner. I'm talking about where you're actually talking about things you and I are talking about right now.
1: Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziglar's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also check out my podcast, What Drives You?, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad, and we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning, physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziegler Show, I invite you to visit Ziegler.com. Connect with Tom Ziegler and the Ziegler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. Kate Ekman is my guest today, and her story is she looked to be doing it all right. She'd succeeded as a competitive swimmer, a model, a TV anchor, and a broadcast journalist. Then in a short span of time, two very close relationships, actually romantic relationships in her life, committed suicide, and Kate found herself in tears at the pharmacy counter, grasping for anti-anxiety meds, and knew things were not okay. Well, this began a significantly new trajectory of her life with a focus on our spirit. If you want a fit, strong, and resilient body, you nourish it, you exercise it, you allow it time to recover. How about your spirit, your mindset, your emotions, your very soul? Are you working out working it out, those things out daily in order to keep them fit and resilient. She recently published a book titled The Full Spirit Workout: A 10 Step System to Shed Your Self-Doubt, Strengthen Your Spiritual Core, and Create a Fun and Fulfilling Life. In this episode, I walk with Kate through the pitfalls that we all encounter in being strong and at peace with our self-worth and our confidence and our self-doubt and how we compare ourselves to other and the struggle between our external and internal lives. As you'll hear, Kate has a lot of wisdom to offer, but in And just a a really raw and compassionate spirit. We hit some profound points. We laughed and there was some crying as you'll hear. Uh, You can find Kate for more at KateEkman.tv, and also at TheFullSpiritWorkout.com. Kate, I looking at the topic of your book or the title the full spirit workout and then you've got the tagline a 10-step system to shed your self-doubt strengthen your spiritual core and create a fun and fulfilling life i want to start playing right there because spirit i think of as one thing in essence spiritual you know i grew up in the bible belt and spiritual kind of has this religious context i want to play with that a little bit here to begin with because when you're talking about spirit I really, as I look at your book, you're talking about mindset in essence. Is that fair?
0: Yeah. And I think our spirit is who we really are and, 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 being spiritually fit is is the courage to be that, the, the polished, put together person we all present to the world yeah. and the messy person just trying to keep it all together behind the scenes. You know, he or she is so lovable and relatable and authentic. And I think the more we can lean into our authentic selves and being who we authentically need to be. Is, is, is a spirit and our spirits can't be criticized or rejected or overlooked. And, and that's such a beautiful place to dwell. And I think we need to spend a lot more time there. And you know, in our world, so much emphasis is placed on the physical yeah. and a lot less emphasis is placed on our attitudinal muscles, our mental, emotional, spiritual health. And that's why this this book came about. And it was so important for me to build the the confidence and the resilience and the optimism from within that can weather any storm. Because sadly, the chaos and uncertainty and an absolute insanity of the world isn't going anywhere. And so it really is up to us to to get really fit on the inside.
1: Well, we're at a time when, and I didn't pull up the stats, but you know them as well as I do. I think most people do if you look at the media at all, that from a mental health standpoint, we're not in a great place um, today coming out of the pandemic And I just had a conversation at my home about, for some reason, Colorado, where I live, which I think is like one of the most inspiring places ever. We have one of the highest suicide rates and mental health issues. I wasn't, I honestly was not aware. And so my wife was talking to my kids about it, my older kids, especially. And so your book, you know, it comes across so much as a message of hope, but now to really, I want to hit on the spiritual aspect, not from a religious standpoint somewhat, but I am concerned that our culture is so self-focused as well. So as much as we want to talk about self-care and, and, and taking care of ourselves, where do you see that come into play? Because for myself, being aware of a bigger picture, whether that is even a, a God or a humanitarian aspect, but that life is not all about me, how do you feel that plays in?
0: Yeah, I I think so many of us are guilty of falling asleep to the truth of who we really are. And we think that we are our job, our money, what we look like, our our clothes, our car, our house. We're so caught up in the externals. And I certainly can say that because I was one of those people who got all of my worth from those externals and it really dictated how I felt about myself and and that just sets us up for failure and and what I realized is that when we do that we can truly never have enough or be enough and and I had to be rocked to my core um, by losing not one but two dear friends to suicide in one year one was my ex-boyfriend another was a a best friend who I was romantically involved with on and off for years and it, it really scared me and 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 you know, shook me to my core. I know that's, a you know, um, just doesn't even really sum up what it, what it did to me. Um, and not only dealing with the, the grief of losing these two beautiful souls, but also really making me look at the way I was choosing to live my life. And, um, i think a lot of us you know play lip service to spirituality or getting fit on the inside or or these concepts and it's you know cute to post about it on instagram or whatever but um we don't spend enough time there and and the reason i know that is because of, of our culture and and we're you know even subconsciously plugged into these societal standards we don't even believe in we're insatiable and um we don't spend enough time sitting quietly in a room alone, which is one of my yeah. favorite quotes from Blaise Pascal that says all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Mm-hmm. It's a practice I've I've really adopted this past year, especially it kept me going during the pandemic. I called it my sit and stare time where I would just sit and stare out the window or straight ahead and just attempt to process all of the things that were going on in the world and and to deeply reflect and really check in with myself. Like I'm a small child and say, how are you doing? What's working? What isn't? What can I do for you? And then even acknowledging myself and saying, I'm really proud of you. You know, you're writing a book during a global pandemic, you're in isolation on top of isolation, you know, good job. Um, But I think the more that we can really make our our spiritual fitness and and beefing up our mental and emotional muscles, not just for ourselves, but for the betterment of the people around us, our family, our our organizations, causes greater than ourselves, the better, because I I don't know if you've experienced, but I have, and, and certainly in my clients, you can collect all the shiny objects you can do all the so-called right things i, I mean i work with people billionaires and they still don't feel fulfilled yeah. and so it really is a testament to to working on the inside and not just talking about it but doing the practices and then that's why i put this whole program together and made it fun and and not just talk about it but here here's the tools here's the exercises you can actually do and like physical exercise you have to do it not just once can you imagine if we just went to the gym once a year and thought, okay, I'm fit. We all know it doesn't work like that. So it's making it a consistent practice.
1: Well, and going through your message, Kate, I thought about myself as I usually do with these, 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 these shows are just mainly my personal counseling sessions. And Mm -hmm. I looked at physical fitness. I've always been a rock star there. I was a pro athlete, and today it's one of my greatest joys. As soon as we finish this, I'm going to go mountain bike. I don't think about it as exercise. It's just it's just me time. This is a gift to me. It's play time, and whatnot. Now go over to my spiritual fitness or my emotional fitness or, or whatnot. There, not so good. Not a big focus for me. And I thought as I was thinking about, it, I was trying to say, okay, so how would I deem myself? Am I sedentary? In that area, if I was to put it to a physical fitness standpoint, I thought, no, I tend to go towards inspiration slash maybe medication of my emotional feelings. But it's pretty, um, pretty, it's pretty narrow in how I address that. And you work with so many high performers. How often do you see that? So they're doing the things that get the accolades that get the success, but there's not the personal fulfillment because they are not addressing their spiritual self, their emotional self. And it's void. It's broken. It's what do you find?
0: Yeah, I I find that People are achieving, fortunately, um, a lot of material success or external success. They're highly skilled at their jobs. They're performing well. They're making the money, making that sort of impact. But struggling with confidence, struggling with fulfillment, what does all of this mean? Yeah. Um. And, and seeing relate their relation, personal relationships crumble, or, you know, the, I, I saw a quote recently, it said something about, you know, you think you're so enlightened, go spend a week with your parents, or you know, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, and I, I speak openly in the book about romantic relationships, and our significant others will bring up all of our stuff. And and that's a great thing. But oftentimes when our stuff is being brought up, we think, well, this person is clearly not for me. I'm leaving them. And a lot of heartache occurs like this um, when this happens. But You know, and I I work through my own stuff. I think there's another misconception like, oh, you wrote the book or, oh, you look this way or, oh, you have this much money that you don't struggle. And I I think that is so harmful because it sets us up to compare to unrealistic ideals and standards. And the fact of the matter is, Kevin, everyone is struggling in some way. Everyone. The CEOs, the professional athletes, they all struggle with confidence too because it is an inside job. And like I said, we're spending so much time on the external product, but then we're crumbling on the inside and we do need more time off to to sit and stare and to to work on the inner as much as we're working on grinding and making it happen and forcing and trying to control something and the good news is when you do these inner fitness exercises you become the person who naturally attracts the wealth the opportunities the experiences the relationships you don't have to try so hard does that make sense It
1: does. And you mentioned the word compared. I know you've got a chapter in the book that talks about that in relation to, you say, get rid of the S's. And you said, no, not, not sugar necessarily, though. That's a good one too, but social media. And I am enamored with that one. So I've got kids who are, I I can't remember. I need to find where I got the term digital natives though. And I like that realizing that I'm not, I'm not, they are, and they're growing up in this. And I was thinking about In regards to something you said in the book, comparison, and as a kid, if I go back to my at-home years, what did I compare myself to? I thought, gosh, I guess you were kind of aware of, you know, what clothes the kids at school are and you're wearing the latest polo shirt or something that's in vogue. Uh, Other than that, for a boy at least, it was athletics. That was big. That's about all I remember. And and I will admit I was I was fairly privileged in a sense, not from a a rich or wealthy home necessarily, but I don't remember going to kids houses and thinking, oh, my gosh, they've got this or they're wealthy. Everybody seemed pretty similar transfer or go then towards today. You can't not know about everybody's stuff. I I don't know how to get away from comparison. I mean, I know you say shut it down, but for the kids and stuff, they're primarily, you can't be in a bubble enough to get away from it. So it's going to be there. How do you, I mean, how do you advise people to combat it without being able to avoid it completely?
0: Yeah, this is such an important question. And I I think first you have to acknowledge it and and we're all you know guilty of this we all are are at the effect of this you can be having a perfectly normal great day even and get on social media for a minute and think oh my gosh this person is you know prettier smarter has the cuter outfit the cuter dog the cuter spouse the cuter vacation you know whatever it is and that's when you have to say okay wow i'm really comparing i'm in this space and, and shut it down or um you know, it's fine to acknowledge it. And then if you want to keep scrolling, but I tend to log off. And for me, when I'm caught up in that space of, I call it the never enoughness, I I, I sit down and spend some time cultivating the inner characteristics that make me uniquely me. And, and so for me, that is, I, I have a uh, value of love of learning. That's, I took this, the strength assessment. One of my greatest strengths is love of learning. So for me, that means going back and, and taking another course or getting a certification, doing some research, you know, bettering myself. Um, humor is another strength of mine. So using humor as, so, oh girl, you're really like, you had a moment comparing yourself to so-and-so on Instagram. And, and no. also the thing about Instagram, I know for myself, the last picture I posted, I'm on my friend's 170 acre horse farm in Kentucky. It's the most magnificent place. I'm with this like thoroughbred racehorse and my cute outfit with a picture. And I was genuinely happy in that moment and it was beautiful. And, you know, the next day, I didn't feel so great, but I'm not posting on Instagram, you know, yeah. not looking cute and, and, hey, I'm having a bad day. I mean, I think it's good to be honest about it, but I think the more that we can consciously shift back into our own inner characteristics and and cultivate kindness and compassion. When I'm bummed out too, I have, I always have note cards and things on hand and I'll write someone like you a note. Hey, thanks so much for having me on the show and um, doing something to brighten someone else's day. And again, taking the focus off of myself and placing it on others. I'm like, you're spinning out. You're having a bad day. You think your life sucks. Go volunteer at a homeless, shelter, go read to the blind, go help children who don't have all of their limbs because they were born without them. Your energy and perspective will shift really, really quickly.
1: I grew up with a psychologist dad, and that was one of his primary treatments. I would say, you feeling depressed, you feeling despairing, go serve someone else. And my gosh, yeah, it's just so rare. I think a lot of people don't even know where to turn to uh, for that. But I, I do want to hit, Kate, so I was I was doing my homework actually today, seeing some of the latest stuff that you've posted. I want to pull out a couple and just kind of dig in where I know it's difficult for. Us. So Facebook, you had a quote uh, from you, said, base your self-worth on who you are and your inherent value as a human being rather than what others think of how much you achieve. So I man, I look at that and it's one of those, I've uh, you know, I want to cheer for and yet realize how just dramatically difficult it is. It is, it actually made me think of, so a guy like Daniel, a rabbi, Daniel Lappin. he has a book, oh, he has a bunch of books, but one is thou shall prosper. And he's very outspoken about money and the value of money. He says, money's great. It's, it's a certificate of appreciation. If you provide value, you should do that. But that's also dangerous, I think, because if we are not getting the money that we think we should, if we're not getting the success, the acclaim, the affirmation, the opportunity, all these things, we tend to think, well, I must not equate to that much value to people. And so as much as I want to separate from that somewhat and say, gosh, I, I am enough, like your quote talks about, it almost feels impossible to totally do it from the world, and, and I think to some degree we can't. But there's a tension there to hold in balance, and I think the reality of doing so is is so intangibly hard for folks.
0: Yeah. How do you- as, Yeah. As, as you're talking, what's coming to me is it's you know I have the five P's of confidence, a presentation I do a lot, and and the second P is patience. And as you're talking, what just came to me to share with with yeah. all of you is. Uh, the grammy speech from 20 years ago the only award acceptance speech i've ever remembered in all my years of watching award shows and and country singer shelby lynn won best new artist in 2001 and when she accepted her award she said it only took me 13 years and six albums to get here best new artist i mean she wow and and i and she was a little gracious but snarky and i appreciated it and i she also said you know for me it's always been all about the music meaning she wasn't into some gimmick she's not dressing half naked to you know the shock value or to sell records and things like that and that's also a testament to someone who had a really strong why her why was the music and committed to her type of music and and, and writing meaningful songs and it didn't happen overnight. I mean, 13 years to win an award and maybe you never win an award, certainly a Grammy, yeah. but I, I think that we all want this overnight success or, you know, people have seen me on a cover of a magazine or like you write the book and they say, I want that. And I I want to look at most people and say, no, you don't. You don't want to deal with all the rejection that I've been through. You don't want to sit by yourself for four months and just, write And, and make little money doing it. You know what I mean? Books are not big money makers unless you're a massive celebrity. Yeah. Um, I had a really strong why, though. I wrote the book for my two friends who, who died of suicide, and for everyone who struggles with mental health, which turns out is everyone. All of us struggle with mental health in some way, yeah. shape, or form. So I just say to people, I, I know that it isn't easy. It's a simple concept to base your self worth on on who you are and your inherent value as a human. It's a much different thing to put that into practice and and truly believe it. You know, we have to actually believe the things that we are saying and the things that we are posting and this takes practice and and i want everyone to think of tom brady who i relate to because we are both big 10 athletes at the same time and he's still winning super bowls and you know my knees hurt when i go to pilates and that's a testament So this man practices. He trains harder than anyone, not because he's the worst, but because he's the best. So what is your Super Bowl? And how many reps are you putting in? And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that because you want to just show up and and do the thing already, but it's going to mean so much more to you when you have put in the work and and really trusting and believing in the divine timing. You know, it took me a, a few extra months to get this book deal. And I'm so glad that it did because in that time it took... I finished my master's degree. I got a bunch of other certifications that made this book so much better. So I'm so glad it didn't happen on my timeline. I'm glad that I had my moment where I'm looking up at, at God and the angels like, what's up, man? Like what are you doing? <laughs> this is so frustrating. Um, you know, I've dealt with so much rejection in my, in my career with someone at having an on-camera career and it's, it's made me better. And I don't take it personally anymore. I think, wow, what is the message for me to learn here and how can I become better? So when I get the thing that I'm working hard for, I can maintain it and appreciate it more. I mean, can you imagine if Tom Brady just won a Super Bowl right out of college? Um, I don't know that it would have meant as much. I don't know that he would still be playing and I don't want to speak for him, but, um, I I think we all need to practice a little more patience. And, and I get that it's hard because it stems from the Latin word for suffering. So we're all suffering while we're waiting for the thing that we want.
1: You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode with Kate Ekman on working out our spirit. Next, I ask Kate about the motivation for internal success over simply external success and what finally motivates us and high achievers in general to invest in their internal selves and their true fulfillment. Let's compare the external success and the internal success from a motivation aspect. I mean, we can all, we all, there's plenty of motivation to go after the external success. Maybe it's, it's, it's complete motivation to go after art. we live in a world that motivates us to go after that. When you find people like your work with, again, I'm going to say, you know, top performers, whether it's executives or athletes or, or whatnot, they have done that. What? brings them to wanting that in, inner success, kind of like you. So you're going along, you're doing that and you're a, you know, elite swimmer and you're a, a model and an executive coach and a, a broadcast journalist and all these things. And then you have this incident that happens. You have two friends, uh, commit suicide, two people close to you. And that gave you, I think you used the word a minute ago, a cause you found a cause That drove you to this desire for, I want more than the external fulfillment. I want inner. So for those who are out there, well, I I should say that those top performers, do you generally find something happens to them? There is some catalyst that sparks and says, I, this isn't doing it. I, I, I need more
0: yeah, and I think we're also insatiable because you get the thing. You win the NBA championship. you get the million dollar contract. you get whatever your thing is. And you're happy for fifteen, twenty minutes, and then it's on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. and there's there's nothing wrong with wanting success and wanting more. But when is it enough? And I think people, we become addicted and and we don't know when enough is enough. And then it's, you know, I had a client recently say to me, I can close another $10 million deal. And then what? I don't need another house. I don't need another Ferrari. I don't need another whatever. He said, I don't feel fulfilled. What does all of this mean? And he had a massive health scare. So this is to answer your question too. He was in his forties, had a massive heart attack, could have died. And he thought, what am I going to leave behind to my children for them to remember me by? Some money? Okay. But it really got him thinking about his legacy and that's the work we've been doing and what kind of organizations to make the world a better place does he want to create and put his money behind. And so I think that's when people have the wake up call too is okay. I've done all the so-called right things. I have everything that society says should make me happy. Why am I not happy? And you know, Even the research says, and my own life has certainly dictated this, all of these things that think are going to make us happy don't actually move the needle on our well-being. What moves the needle according to science and according to my own life and probably your life too? Things like sleep, exercise, you're going mountain biking, time affluence, having the time to do what you actually want to do, social connection, what we're doing right here. This conversation is lighting me up genuinely more than being on a cover of a magazine or making some money. Both of those things are great, but they're so fleeting. This connection, especially if we build on it, increases our well-being for forever. If we keep in touch, especially, um, or or just this, it's going to keep me going for a long time. Um, Acts of kindness and service. And my personal favorite, a gratitude visit. And, And that's where you think of someone who has profoundly changed your life for the better, who you've never properly thanked. And and think of someone right now, whoever came to mind was perfect, and and write them a 300-word letter of gratitude and appreciation. Call them up. Say you want to come over. Don't tell them why. And read them this letter. And, And what happens is your well-being boosts, their well-being boosts. You have this bond for life. You cry. The other person cries. And- it it, it boosts your happiness levels off the charts, not just in that moment, but for days and weeks and months and years to come. And and I know this because I've done this assignment and I wrote about it in the book. And so when I'm feeling down, like I said earlier, I I write someone a gratitude visit. I, I send someone an email. I call them up and say, Hey, thanks for being there for me when I was going through a really hard time or thanks for celebrating and supporting me when I launched my book. Not everyone did. Um, I think the more that we can do these things, the better that we feel. And so have your money, win your Super Bowl, be the CEO, but it needs to be in conjunction with, with causes and purposes greater than us.
1: Well, that it finds me thinking, you know, of we never want to pray for hardship or, or hope for hardship. And yet we find often that it is a catalyst. A crisis is often a catalyst for that bigger picture, for that cause, if it doesn't overwhelm and, you know, kill us on the other side. Uh, but to what you said, I read a book or not, I read a book, I read an article about, and I can't remember the author's name. I think she's Australian and she wrote this book on deathbed regrets and it stuck out to me. Because you saying, okay, these things, we know that they don't automatically fulfill the money, the cars, the wealth or whatever. We know they don't automatically fulfill. And yet we can say that to we're blue in the face. And I think for the most part, the culture and even ourselves, to some degree, we still want that stuff. And yet deathbed regrets, none of that stuff falls on it. Nobody says, I wish I'd made more money. I wish I had the Ferrari. It's, I want to implant that in myself, but it just feels impossible again, to separate ourselves But to elevate that is, um, it seems like maybe one of the most worthy causes there is, which is, well, I guess that's why you're doing what you're doing, huh?
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting emotional as you're talking because I had a talk with my parents yesterday and just, I had a moment I got, and I'm getting sad right now because I see this all around me and I'm certainly guilty of it, but, um, how little time, and this was one of the deathbed things. It was, um. No one ever says, oh, I wish I would have spent less time with my loved ones, with my family, with my friends. And I'm finding that, you know, so many of us aren't spending quality time with our family or friends. Or when we're with them, we're distracted, we're exhausted, we're overwhelmed, we're arguing, we're not feeling seen or heard or acknowledged. And it it breaks my heart. Um, And clearly I'm in the the midst of this in my own personal life where I just, you know, I think COVID... We all felt a lot of distance um, and it does, it makes me sad. Um, you know, when you're younger, you hang out with your friends a bit more, your siblings, your cousins, and everyone gets busy and I get it. People have careers and spouses and children, but I don't think we're making enough time for each other it takes time to have really meaningful relationships not just someone to sit across from you on their phone at dinner I'm talking about where you're actually talking about things you and I are talking about right now and you know my dad shared with me last night and his dad died young but he said I didn't even know my dad and it made me really sad because there's a part of me that's like I don't really know my dad either you know on a deep deep level because that's how I roll I want to know people on a deep level and um I'm clearly emotional about this because it's been front and center for me. And I see it all around me. Um, The lack of depth in so many relationships. And I think that we can all do a lot better.
1: Well, you saying that you said a second ago, Kate, you mentioned time affluence, which I feel like I should have heard that. And I have not heard that time affluence. And I thought as you're sitting here talking, I think "I I want time affluence. I want patience affluence. I want relationship affluence. We don't post about that on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And yet you talking about that, I I don't know what it is. I need to dig into it more, Kate. I, I have, so I've got kids ranging now from 27 to nine, I think eight or nine. And I have two boys that are 14 or 15 and 16. And I recently, a few times, like the little Facebook thing will come up memories. And it shows me the the little boys they are. And I still have a little boy too. I still got a 10 year old and realizing that that little boys that they were are gone. It just wrecks me because I've got this little boy now who just, I'm just the best thing in his world and he's going to be gone and he's going to be a questioning, you know, doubting, seeking, teenager and he's going to be gone. And it brings me back to the relationship, like what you said of that regret of not having invested with friends and family. It's weighed on me. I read something recently. Maybe actually it was, no, it was the deathbed regrets, Kate. It was, it was, I think one of the top three. And it said, I regret something in the essence of not staying in touch with my close friends through life. Yes. And that has been weighing on me and I haven't done anything about it yet. Cause I have people who were so profound in my life that I haven't talked to in years. And, and I don't, I have no reason why other than lack of time affluence, I'm just busy doing what, what does it add up to? I'm gonna have a hard time walking away from this, figuring out what to do after this interview. Um,
0: yeah. And I, I, I think, um, but see, now it's in your consciousness. And I think then you just ask, your, yeah. ask yourself, Am I willing to stay in better touch with the people I care about? Or then what I hear from people too is, Well, it's been so long, it feels disingenuous to reach out to Kevin after so many years. And I'm like, Why? Anyone who called me up right now just said, Hey, I was thinking of you. How are you doing? Or congrats on this. Or I heard you lost that. Um, I'm never going to, I'm sure you too. I'm never going to say like, why are you reaching out to me? It's going to be like, thank you so much for reaching out. I had someone recently do that and say, Hey, you don't even need to get back to me. Just like much love and respect to you for your book. And I see how hard you're working and congratulations. And just those little acknowledgements, how I I love the little voice texts that you can send. It's a little more personable or even just sending a text, but you know, people say they don't have time, but then you just were on Instagram for two hours mindlessly, or I don't have time for exercise. And I say, well, I don't have time to be angry. I don't have time to you know raise my voice with my loved ones because I'm you know God overstressed, sure. or I don't have time to you know not do the work that I'm here to do on the planet. So I, I think this is a moment of clarity and, and asking ourselves, who do I want to be? What kind of life and impact do I want to have? And yeah I, I, I think that we all think we're gonna live forever and we're all you know lucky to wake up every day and I, this is a, a, a moment to really check in with ourselves as I like to say it's not midnight yet, but it's 11:45 and we need to get it together and, and start making um, commitments to ourselves and that's why it's so important to have accountability therapist coach, friend um, you know, and, and check in in a meaningful way with each other. And I, I, I have had many heartbroken moments thinking, you know, um, if, if my friends weren't keeping everything to themselves in the name of quote unquote being a man and that stiff upper lip, yeah, um, yeah. they would still be here. I think if they had different tools, um, they would still be here. I think if more of us noticed some things and I mean they hit it well but reached out even if we were being annoying like hey Kevin how you doing hey Kevin how you doing and not that maybe that would have stopped anything but I think I think everyone feels alone um in some way even if they're surrounded by a household of people um and I think we can check on each other a bit more
1: well what you just said there was your latest Twitter post or one of the recent ones that I saw you said the world's most common question are you okay most common response I'm fine Uh, And I thought about that. I really strive in the passing to not do the, hey, how you doing? Because I realize I'm not asking. I don't really want to hear. And and so if that's the case, don't say that. So I'll try to say, hey, good morning, good afternoon, whatever, to not ask that because I'm not really asking and it frustrates me that we do that because you said how we often really feel is sad, depressed, anxious, angry, uncertain, fearful, and alone And yet, who do we have to share that with? I mean, what do you say to that, to people who hear that and hear the message and go, I don't have anyone to share it with? Is it simple as, you know, go find somebody or, or pay for it? There's counseling.
0: Yeah, there's counseling and there's there's plenty of organizations and hotlines and you know yeah. there's a suicide prevention hotline and and maybe you're not at that level but there's there's plenty of organizations to reach out to if you feel that you don't have a friend or family member. Yeah. I, I think sometimes we feel like a burden or we don't want to seem quote unquote negative, um, but it is so important to just keep it real. I mean, even to me, I'm like crying in this interview because. I'm exhausted. I'm dealing with some personal stuff. I'm in the middle, you know, of a press. There's just a press tour. There's just there's so much going on, and then you yeah. know, jobs. I'm moving all the things. But I think for me, it's I focus on showing up. <laughs> I'm here. I'm showing up. I focus yeah. on connecting with you, the host, being genuine and and vulnerable. And for me, it's not about saying some perfect thing or inspirational, motivational. I think it's for all of us about being real and people resonate with you being real because so few people are being real. Cause we got to like, Oh, you got to present a certain way or pretend this. And as I tell my coaching clients, you know, this is a non, this is a no pretend zone. You need to just really be who you are and and be free. And and then you're able to show yeah. up more fully for, for the people around you.
1: Well, Kate, that aspect of being real, I think people would to some degree, well, I, I, I there's a spectrum of that, I guess, of being real. And I get, I think I probably get kudos for Kevin. You know, Kevin, he's real. He really shares. I, I do to some degree, and then I don't at all. I don't share emotionally. I'm never. This is an honest statement. I, I am not ever real emotionally, and I'm dealing with that today at 50 years old. That I have never been aware of myself emotionally, much less to anyone else. I, I can't even you know, conceive of my own emotions that well and therefore don't share them otherwise, which really hurts intimacy. Instagram, your post there hits right on this. It says, when we are in that place of loneliness, fear, sadness, and discomfort, it's important not to try to jump right to gratitude or positivity sometimes crying and acknowledging how much things suck or how heavy our feelings weigh on us is the fast train to returning home to ourselves where appreciation and gratitude occur natural naturally kate that calls me out 100 percent. that's all i know that's all I have ever known. And I'm not going to put that on my parents. I, I mean, they were definitely of the positivity talk. I mean, I grew up on Zig Ziglar, you know, and, and, and be positive. And I understand the value of that. You know, like him saying, it, you can't, uh, being positive won't let you do anything, but it'll help you do everything better than, you know, negative thinking. True statement. That doesn't say, it doesn't by proxy say, don't consider your negative feelings and feel them. I have not done that. I, I have not done that. I go right to gratitude or positivity. And for accountability, last week, a counselor told me that. She said, okay, I get you. You feel pain and you go and you medicate it. Go on a mountain bike ride. Go, you know, think something positive or whatever. Again, not that that's not bad, but maybe I'm just missing. Well, would you say I'm just missing the in-between step, which is to actually feel it.
0: Yeah, and, and let it out and release it from your body because, you know, you're you're carrying something. It's like extra weight. We're all again, we're all familiar with, oh, we got a little extra belly fat or something yeah. that's not healthy, we, we should shed. But the same with what you're talking about and how heavy that weighs on you, and you probably don't even know the depths of how heavy it is or that you know, one day it could just explode and come out, but it's just, it's so much extra weight you don't need to carry. And when you vocalize it or, or maybe for you starting with baby steps and journaling it out. And that's, you know, I have a lot of journaling exercises in the book where get all those feelings out, you know, ask yourself these deep, meaningful questions, but it needs to be released from the body because it can, um, cause disease or illness and, and just really weigh us down. Just like extra physical weight weighs us down and isn't healthy to carry around, in the body. And I think just starting with your willingness. I mean, I'm hearing that you're you're willing to explore this and look at this. And then I think from me, I look at someone like you and I I think, wow, like how great that you on one hand, how great you can keep it all in and you're you're not crying in an interview, for instance. Um, but it, it is so healing to get it out because I mean, there's science says an emotion stays in our body only 90 seconds. It moves through us. Anything else, we, if we're still holding on to that anger, it's about a story that we're creating in our minds. And so I like to just feel it, talk about it, release it, and then move past it. And I always learn something in the process of, of really feeling it, but yeah. I see why so many don't, especially men, um, heterosexual men are taught not to show any of that. You know, I come from a German family, German men. Oh my gosh. No. Um, so, so I get it, but it's, it's harmful. And, and sometimes, you know, I think as, as your friend or as your spouse or as your child, I would want to experience what's really going on with you and just say, Hey, it's your feelings are safe with me. And just, let it out so you can, can move forward.
1: Well, in that aspect of, I mean, you even said, you know, so maybe that's, that's great. You can hold it all in. Obviously it's not, it's, it's worn me out and it's me coming to, you know, you talking about a catalyst and mine has been the best way that I've been describing is just a soul tiredness and it's not everything. It's not, it's not overall. I don't look and and regret where I am in life and my family and so many relationships and accomplishments and health. There's great stuff and there's no caveat. Those are great period. And yet there's some aspects, some piece of me on the spectrum that has realized, Oh my gosh, I'm worn out. I'm worn out. And I'm not crying on here because I don't really know how it's, it's just not a, an opening. I mean, I know how to do, I know how to do, uh, I can do push ups and pull-ups and mountain biking and do well at last week's duathlon and lots of things that I have done my workouts in and, and I can do. That's not one I know how to do. And I've, I've had to explain that to my kids when they say, gosh, yeah, daddy, you don't cry. See, guys, that's not a good thing. That's, that's not, that's not from a, a healthy standpoint. And, um, you're right, though. It's not a, I think we still have this. I, I love guys that can cry. I revere it. Uh, maybe that's the grass is greener on the other side aspect, too. But I see the health. I see the health in it. I see the health in in you, which is why you're the author of this book and, and leading this charge. Let me ask you a question, Kate, because you mentioned when we are well spiritually, when we are well in the inner self, we tend to find those things that we want externally. Though, or we, I think you said we're attra- those things are attracted to us, right? You're obviously working a lot of times with people like me who have focused on the external and have those and now want to come back. Is it the cart before the horse? Primarily? Is that what we're living?
0: I love that you can start at any moment and there's no right or wrong way to do it. It really is, you know, there's a spiritual principle that says our good intentions are not enough, our willingness is everything. And As I like to say to myself or to, you know, anyone, people like you, are you willing, are you willing to sit down starting five minutes a day and, and really connect in with your spirit and, and listen to the divine truth. I'm not talking about the ego mind that tells us where we got it wrong, where we suck, how we're not good enough. I'm talking about that divine wisdom. Some people call it God, spirit, universe, nature. Um, If you don't believe in God or a higher power I'm sure everyone believes in nature, that the, the intelligence or actually it's the wisdom that can turn an acorn into an embryo or an acorn into an oak tree, an embryo into a baby. The flowers just know how to bloom and grow. The sun is not in competition with the stars or the rainbows. Everyone's just existing in all of their magic glory. That is that is some divine intelligence that we can all tap into. It's available to us at any time. We can co-create with it. Whether we believe in it or not, I choose to believe in it. And, and I know that there's a force greater than myself always at work behind the scenes that I can tap into, but you have to get more practice at listening. And that requires sitting distraction-free, turning all the devices off, not needing to be talking to someone at all times, and really start listening. And, and that, uh, some people call it intuition, that, that intuition that says, hey, why don't you call Kevin and, and talk to him about collaborating on a project I don't even know the answers. I don't know if you're even interested, but I'm like, all right, I'm gonna reach out to Kevin. And just, you never know what's gonna happen, but it has been my experience and it like physical exercise, it only works if you do, you gotta put in the reps, but opportunities that I would have killed four years ago and strived so hard that it wasn't working out. But as I've done this work and have, have made it a daily practice, I get the phone calls, I get the emails, people come to me, it feels a lot more effortless and in the flow. I'm still working hard, but I'm just attracting the big contracts and the opportunities and the book deals and things like that. And I offer that to, to everyone. You don't have to try so hard. Sometimes the effort is taking your hands off the wheel Mm -hmm. and, and, and leaning into your trust muscle and surrendering and, and just allowing things to unfold instead of controlling everything.
1: That, so it's, you mentioned a little bit ago and you just said, again, just, you know, sitting alone in in a sense, the quote by Blaise Pascal, I, for Ziegler listeners, they should know that by now because I reference it so often. Of course you do. <laughs> I do, and it, but it's preaching to myself. I am addicted to doing by nature or, or, or by programming either way, but I'm, I'm addicted to doing and not being. And it's always been interesting to me that one of the movies that we own and that I could almost watch over and over and over daily is Forrest Gump. I love his being. And I didn't know what was drawing me to that. You know, my kids would ask, why do you like that movie? I don't know. But, I, you know, that's what spoke to me so much is just the, what you just said, not controlling, not holding on, letting Someone go. Someone
0: who lives from the spirit. Yes. What a perfect example. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. He, he's a perfect illustrate. He lives from a spirit.
1: I have a friend, Dustin, who so often calls, doesn't call me, but he, he exemplifies and through that calls me to, to be in life palms up, palms up, not gripping, but palms up. Sometimes it's one palm up, one palm gripping. You know, we have hard circumstances sometimes, but you know, Kate, you talk about loving ourselves, loving and accepting ourselves. And then I don't know if it's in your book or somewhere else that I read, you talked about the challenge to love ourselves In a world that's constantly telling us not to. And depending on people's view of the world, whether you think that the world is telling you not to, or even, because I thought it's also just promoting by proxy trying to sell you stuff that you're not enough. So even if we take away the bad capitalist or the conspiracy theories, which may or may not be true, but even if we take that away, the reality is, and I honestly, Kate, it made me think about I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I I believe in and appreciate personal development, self-help, health and wellness. Obviously, I mean, it's great stuff. It probably is somewhat of a culprit in that, though, that feeling of I am still not enough. I need more, whether I need a new car, I need to be better, I need to have more money, I need to have this emotion. Or I'm not enough. It's still, I mean, again, we're just like social media. We're in that world that we cannot get away from it. And so again, I'm gonna ask you about that balance of saying, okay, here I am. I am enough. I need to believe that I am enough. And I want to improve. There's, there's nothing wrong that's gonna come, nothing bad that's gonna come with improvement. And without the effort for improvement, I think it's hard to stay neutral. Do you?
0: Yeah, and I, I think, Like you said, we are being so bombarded with images and messaging of how we don't add up. And you need these 5,000 products and things to be worthy of anything. And it's just a lie, but it seeps into our subconscious. So we think it's true. And if you aren't doing these inner exercises, you're not combating against it. I mean, this is the emotional gravity that we have to combat against. And I think the personal development space is, is really guilty of oftentimes being so self-centered of in terms of you can manifest this and manifest that and look i like nice things and homes as much as the nice person but if that's all it's about manifesting this and 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 using some higher power to to get what you want that that sounds pretty narcissistic and meaningless to me and then Agreed. people wonder why they're so fu- unfulfilled yeah. and i i say why do you want the mansion? For me, I don't want a mansion. I, the thought of furnishing and cleaning a mansion doesn't do much for me. I would like a nice, comfortable home, and that's where I live. I want a place where I can quietly and peacefully write my books, have conversations like this, work with clients, and, and get proper rest and care so that I can show up and, and, and utilize my gifts and strengths in the world, right? I want a car that I feel safe in that's going to keep me safe when I get from point A to point B do I want it to be comfortable and nice? Yes, I do. Um, do I need it to be flashy and impress the neighbors? No, I do not. So I think a lot of times we need to ask ourselves why we want the things that we want and, um, be really, really honest with ourselves. Um, and and not in a place of judgment or shame, but kind of maybe cleaning up the intentions a little bit. And I promise you when, when your, your goal and your why is, is, um, bigger, like this book, so much bigger than me. Um, not, not a moneymaker. It's just, it's a life assignment that I took on for my two dear friends. I believe in God. I I think God is unconditional love for me. It is me answering a call. I think we are all called, you are listening um, or you hear the call and you think, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to make some sacrifices or change my life or take time off of work and, and sit by myself for months and write this book, and it's gonna be really, really hard work. Oh, I'm not hearing that call. <laughs> you know, but for me, I'm just a gal like everybody else who, who answered the call and did it, not because it was easy. Um I just, I had, I had to do it and I'm getting more calls. I'm getting the next call to write the next book. And I'm like, Oh man, (laughs) do I wish the call was, Hey, um, go take a two-year vacation. Yeah. I wish that was the call sometimes, but it's not right. (laughs) So I think we just have to be open to what we're here to do. And I don't think we're just here to collect a bunch of stuff.
1: You just said all are called fewer listening. Um, one of my favorite philosophers is Frederick Beekner. He has a book called listening to your life and he is so different, you know, from an external standpoint, such a different guy. But again, like, like Forrest Gump speaks to my soul, his, his thinking and listening to your life, being aware of ourselves. You know, you Put a, actually, it's the first chapter of your book, and you talk so much about stretching your comfort zone. And I thought about that. I've, my, in my, one of my other podcasts, The True Life Show, we joke somewhat about we're selling something that's so hard to sell, like fasting. Nobody wants to fast. I don't think, I'm sure there's some shaman somewhere who literally likes it. I don't like fasting, not from food. I adore food. I love to eat. I'm always looking forward to the next meal. I may delay it. I usually, you know, I'm intermittent fasting. I'm great at delaying it, but I'm going to eat and I'm thinking generally about what I'm going to eat and planning it. and, And my favorite thing to do, one of my, one of my favorite activities of all time is grocery shopping. Uh, True, true story. True story. I don't really like any other kind of shopping, but I love grocery shopping. But, you know, to sell fasting or to sell going to sleep earlier and getting up earlier, not real attractive things to sell. And here you are saying, stretch your comfort zone. I know it's again, we talk about culturally. Is there anything if we were to. Go through the commercials on the Super Bowl or the you know the, the main ads. It feels like pretty much what we're selling is you know get something better. Whatever car you have, here's a better one. But the next thing is comfort to sell comfort to where there is yes. And so you're that's a hard you're you're saying the opposite is actually where more more everything is found. Yes.
0: Yeah, because and then in that case, yeah, I'm like you're selling the the results of your your life is just this is where life gets really juicy and you stretch and expand and grow into the person who can actually achieve your goals. And you get to really discover what you're made of and, and have adventures and have fun and and meet incredible people. I mean, this book is a massive stretching of the comfort zone. My friend told me a few months ago, she said, you're going to meet the most incredible people through your book. Case in point right here. I have met so many incredible, Worth its weight in gold, worth all of the the work and the sweat and the and and all of it, um, to meet incredible people, and it's my favorite thing to talk about. Not because this stuff is easy; I have emotional hangovers all the time. But again, it's it's what kind of life do you want to have? And I think the people who haven't dared to stretch their comfort zone and and argue that they're quite happy, okay, maybe. But then I say, do you even know what true happiness? even is. I mean, you really have to put yourself out there and it's those quotes, that's where all the fruit is on the limb and all the things, but, um, start with baby steps and again, just be willing and, and be willing to see how incredible life can really be. And the people that you'll meet. I love the Martin Luther King Jr. quote that says on your journey, mighty companions will join you. Hmm the mighty companions come and you make space for them. Maybe stretching your comfort zone is letting some people fall away who don't really see you or support you or, 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 love you properly and making room for the people who are thrilled to be on this journey with you and will help you become a more enlightened, more self-actualized version of yourself.
1: Kate, you, and I'm not going to go through every tenant of the book uh, for everyone listening. There are Ten. Well, I think it's the ten chapters, but you could look at it. It's ten. You know, exercises. Here are the things your spiritual workout. And I just mentioned the first one, stretching your comfort zone. The second one is lifting yourself up. I talked about this to a degree in a recent show, and it. We have so many examples in life, people probably, you know, on the bookshelf behind me, people who somebody came actually, it's one of Zig Ziglar's primary stories where he had a a manager in the sales program who spoke something to him and said, he actually said, you know, I see such a waste because you have so much potential and that changed his life. How much would we all love to have that? I'm going to say an external source come in a person and testify to some greatness in us that we don't see. We all want to do that. And yet you're saying, lift yourself up. And that one is the one that hits me. If, if is most of us are not going to have that person who comes along and encourages us or testifies to some greatness, we're not going to take some test that's going to say, oh my gosh, you're one of the most brilliant people on the planet that changes our outlook on ourselves. It is up to us. And that feels untenable. I think we, we have, again, we're back to that self-confidence, that self, uh, self-encouragement that feels, I mean, how do you direct somebody to, to do that? Cause we have no tangible vehicle for that. We're waiting for someone or something to come along and tell us something good about ourselves so that we can believe it.
0: Yeah, and this is the work of becoming more self-sufficient and, yeah. and letting people off the hook um, in terms of, you know, if I need you, Kevin, to be a certain way for me to be okay, I am setting myself up for failure, for heartbreak. I'm setting you up for some failure yeah. and yeah. heartbreak. And we do that, especially to our significant others all the time. We look to someone else to do for us what we're unable or unwilling to do for ourselves. And then we wonder why there's so much resentment and, and so much Many unhealthy dynamics set up and and codependency. And the good news is when you become self-sufficient and are able to lift yourself up, um, you're you're just going to attract better results. And and you're going to also let other people be who they need to be and not put so much pressure and stress, whether it's coworkers or family members or, or significant others. And I think this is about really creating a new story or mantra for ourselves instead of, you know, I need this person to behave this certain way. So I'm okay. It's who do I need to be to attract the results I want, or who do I want and need to be in this relationship? Am I really showing up as a vehicle for this person's transformation or enlightenment? And again, it's work. Nobody, people just want like the easy thing. Like, well, why can't I just date Kevin and he fulfills all my needs? Why can't I just be Kevin's sister, mother, daughter, whomever, and have Kevin fulfill all my needs? And, you don't you don't want that because what happens what happens if something happens to Kevin? I mean <laughs> you know and I'm sorry I'm using you and your yeah. name as an example, but um, this is just really um, about again cultivating the inner characteristics that we can bring out because we all have felt this when we look to someone else for validation, again, we're insatiable. It's never gonna be enough. And so this is really um, getting comfortable with what is enough is 200 pairs of shoes enough is $2 million a year enough is three compliments every hour enough. I mean, we all need to get a little bit of a, of a grip here,
1: (laughs) right? Well, and you, uh, you hit on something and I had actually pulled it out of the book where you talked about romantic relationships, but we could say, I'm going to say, I'm going to extrapolate it to any Uh, deep relationship, intimate relationship, close relationship, whatnot, that we look to that other person. And I think you actually pulled the quote out, uh, the Jerry Maguire quote of you complete me, which I I really appreciate the book or or the movie. Um, Oh, I saw that you had David Meltzer on your show as I did as well. And some things that he said, I'll never forget. I, I, I own that movie. Really appreciate that movie. Hate that part. Uh, because, or I regret that part, I would say, because that is the mentality that I took into my marriage, uh, candidly. And it was that you complete me. It was this, you know, to become one and all this good stuff that I personally misinterpreted and translated wrong. And it wasn't until so much later. I thought, Oh wait, so my single friends are less than they're incomplete, not complete. As they are, because they haven't met that person to complete them. That, that makes no sense to me. Just tangibly, that I need someone else. My, you know, like my, my some of my dearest friends who have no kids. So I have kids. To me, that's that was by proxy. That's family and fullness. So they're not complete by not having kids. Well, that doesn't make any sense. And it just violated, you know, so many of these. I'm going to say these ways that I translated my life based on my upbringing, the church, you know, so many different things that I was exposed to. But if we take that and go, gosh, that doesn't, that makes no sense. I am to be whole and complete. Now, is it fair to say, because I was playing with this this morning, Kate, is it fair to say, okay, they don't complete me. They may enhance me. Yeah. Okay.
0: I think they're yeah, very different. A, well, consider I, I, that Considering that you're with an equal partner, or someone that yeah. you're you're with someone who is compatible, you're with someone who sees you and respects you, and, and yeah. all of those things, and vice versa, and that you actually wanted the children that you have. I think sometimes, sadly, even children are status symbols and aren't properly cared for. Um, that's a whole other topic and conversation. But you know, in terms of the completeness, as I like to say, I am a complete person and I would like to share my completeness with another complete person. Hmm. I don't wanna be involved with someone who hasn't done the work and is not complete in many ways because again, it's not an equal partnership. You talked about money and value. That's like you know someone paying $5 for a Ferrari. It's not an equal exchange. Right. So I think it's um, really doing the work that we need to do so that you can show up as the dream partner for your dream partner. You know, I I had a client once and I said, who wanted the dream partner. And I said, would your dream partner want you as you are right now? And that was not for me to answer. And the person said no. And so then it's going back to the drawing board a bit and, and working on ourselves. I think the best work we do for relationships is often when we're not in one, when we're really spending the time working on ourselves so that when you meet that right person, you don't sabotage it and, and you, you are able to, to maintain it in a, a loving, healthy way.
1: I, we could probably do a whole show just on that. And I'm yeah, not, we could. I'm not going to continue <laughs> down there, but I, yeah. I'm actually from my office. I can see it's a crisis pregnancy center that my, uh, dear friend's wife works at. And the stories that come from that are so often strike me as yeah, kids. Well, in this case, it's teen girls trying to fill these voids with somebody else and how, Tragic it is for all of us. But again, I I go back and I I think I was, that's how I viewed, I literally viewed marriage that way, that we come together to complete each other, not as whole people. I hope people hear that. Maybe we should do another show just on that. I I got a question for you, though, Kate, and this is actually out of chapter nine, exercise nine, and your book, which you have titled Rock the Freedom Lifestyle. But a piece in there that I want to pull out that I want you to explain. You say, letting go of resistance to what is good for you. I don't think anybody would look at that at face value. And go, I don't do that. I'm, I'm trying to get take and attract what, I, what is good for me. What do you mean letting go? What am I resisting that's good for me?
0: Wow. <laughs> right. I think sometimes we resist, um in my case I'll speak personally, we resist um support or people hmm. doing things for us and the name of oh, I'm independent and I've got this. And I think for a lot of us it feels uncomfortable to receive. So that's an instance there. Yeah, or I
1: I'll I'll claim that one. Yeah. Right.
0: And that's that's good for us. But I think we, speaking to the less than, we think that we're less than or lacking in some way that we need help or that we need support, um, which we all do, by the way. And um, we resist maybe a good cry is what is great mm-hmm. for you. you. You resist it because of some belief you have about what it means for you to cry. And so and then that ties into stretching your comfort zone for you having a good cry, letting it all hang out. Maybe you start on the the bike ride. I don't know about you, but sometimes, especially where you live and you're part of the country, I sit in nature sometimes. I look at the mountains and I I am just in complete awe. I mean, yeah. I've had a moment, I wrote a poem, you know, sitting in, it's in the book too, in Mount Rainier outside of Seattle and in, in the snow. And I just thought, this is so magnificent. It, it like touched my soul.
1: Sacred and holy and yeah, yeah.
0: And so maybe even for you, um, doing your exercise, being on the bike ride, but maybe it's, it's pausing for a moment and not resisting what's good for you to mm-hmm. pause and take a break and get off your bike and check in and say, Hey, how you feeling right now? Or what's coming up for you? And instead of like, I'm fine or I'm good, you got to keep going. You got six miles to go, bud, let's go. Maybe taking that moment and it's like, wow, I'm, this is, this is sad or I'm feeling this and allowing yourself to feel it rather than resisting what's good for you. And it's, it's always good for us to, to feel our feelings, even if it's scary, uncomfortable, unfamiliar, whatever. Um, I think we resist what's good for us when we, we try to force and control and think that our, our way is the highway and our way is the best way. And, that was me with telling the story about even getting this this book deal. And now I'm like, well, thank God it, it was delayed in this way. And it was on divine timing rather than on my timing. But sometimes we force and control and, and we um, same, we're going back to relationships. Maybe it is a really, really great match, but you're insecure. You haven't done the work. And so you're pushing and pushing and you actually end up repelling the person from you. Yeah. That's resisting what's, what's good for you by just letting things be.
1: It's great. It's, that speaks to me. You talking about, yeah, even my, my bike ride, it's difficult. I, I'm, I, enjoy, I enjoy the speed. The speed's not bad, but I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy the, you know, the endorphins and that it kind of shuts everything out and whatever. Yet, I can get so caught up. And I think it was the recent animated movie, probably Disney or something called Soul. Have you yeah. seen it? Is that yeah. the one where, where at the beginning, especially the, the, one of the characters consistently says, look up. Yeah. Is that, is it that one, that one hit me? Cause I'm, I'm aware of that. Even trail running, you know, I'm going and we've are running fast and it's technical. I mean, you've just got to pay attention. And I realized I never looked up. There's Pike's peak in all its magnificence. I can see it every day. I never looked at it. I, I, and if I stop, it's a postcard.
0: It's a postcard. Oh, I've been. I can't believe that's where you live.
1: <laughs> it's. Uh, I actually changed offices. This is a quieter one, but my old one on the other side of, of the our office building here looks out on Pikes Peak. So I'll see it in all its glory today. I, we see it coming right out of the house, and yet I'll realize that I didn't look. I was thinking about whatever. I was focused on whatever, and I didn't look up. I was. Resisting what is good for me. I, I got a, I got another question for you here. And this is, maybe this is a good anchor for the show. And it is out of your last chapter slash exercise that says, cool down with inner calm. And you coined a little term there, or uh, word, calm-fidence, uh, <laughs> which I, I like. And, but you said a radical, you said radical self-acceptance. Okay, it stuck out with, to me again with candor. Last week, counselor said that as I was talking about my propensity towards, I mean, call it whatever you want, high performance, perfectionism, uh, whatnot. And I said, I'm trying to learn to have grace with myself. And he stopped there. He says, wait, wait, wait. But he says, grace though, is still based upon the expectation of that high performance, of that perfection, as opposed to maybe a third option is just accept yourself. And honestly, Kate, that one I, I am not comfortable with yet. Or or maybe I can't, um, maybe I can't conceive of that because it feels like a, okay, just in all honesty, just at face value, it feels kind of like a cop out, just accept myself. Like I am what I am. Or if this is just as good as it gets, I, it's really hard to grasp, again, with the, the okayness of the personal development. I don't know. You can say I'm grappling with it. But th- there you are. So you're saying radical self-acceptance. And I'm looking at it and going, I just I, I don't really have a, a file for that. How's All that? Right. Help, help me with a file for self-acceptance without it being just the I am what I am. How's that?
0: Yeah. And I think, or it's accepting that's, that's about dwelling in the present moment. And this present moment, I accept that I'm, I'm here, you know, geographically, this is how I feel. This is where I am today. I'm, let's say your goal, like today I can run six miles and accepting that, knowing that I'm, I'm willing though, to put in the work so that next week I can run seven miles, but not beating yourself up that you can't do 12 miles for instance. So again, being present in the moment, accepting where you are. I think also that self-acceptance for me, what comes up is, oh, and this is tough and it made me emotional earlier, but it's, I have self-acceptance around the fact that I am not enlightened enough to not be triggered by some of the things my family members say. Hmm. It's that self-acceptance of, I I wish that I was completely unaffected by it, or I wasn't triggered, or I didn't want to say something mean, or raise my voice. I'm not quite there yet. So, but that's loving. I accept where I am and I'm willing to be better. I am willing to put in the work so that I am no longer triggered. And by the way, when we're triggered, it's because our values are being threatened. And so I have compassion Mm. for myself. I'm like, this matters to you. You're passionate about it. This is what you value. You're triggered. Um, but you also love these people and you don't want to hurt their feelings or, or say unkind words. You know, I value also kindness. And I'm like, I'm not always there. I'm human. I think self-acceptance is accepting I am human. And some days that means I can run 10 miles and other days I'm sleeping in until 10 AM because I'm exhausted and I'm accept that this is where my body is today and not always feeling the need to push ourselves to exhaustion. And it, it, it reminds me of the late great Kobe Bryant, his book, Mama Mentality is, is behind me. I feel his presence and I, I, look up to him and his ability to block out all of the noise. And, and he has said something I'm I'm paraphrasing, but you know, some days I show up at the arena and and I don't have it. I think my knees hurt, my back hurts. I don't have it, but I don't succumb to that. I I rise above it. And I I show up and give it my all. And so sometimes that is a self acceptance of, you know what, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to have fun. That might mean I score two points. That might mean I score 50 points, but either way, that's redefining success for ourselves. That's the acceptance. Success today is showing up. <laughs> you know what I
1: mean? Self acceptance. I mean, you keep coming back to that word. And yet, I, is it fair to say that we often come to that and say, look, you need to accept yourself as you are? And are we limited? In do, we have to be limited in doing that if we are not first self aware. Do we miss that so often? Yes.
0: yes. Self-awareness okay. is, is number one and willingness. I've said willingness a lot, yeah. but it's like today I accept this is where I am and I am willing to do better tomorrow. Or I am willing, sometimes it's I am willing to rest tomorrow. I'm willing to take the day off tomorrow because I am exhausted. And accepting where I am, physically. And you see that result with athletes and so many injuries, because there is not this self-acceptance of I am 40 years old and my body does not work like a 20 year old anymore. And you push yourself or you, you break your leg or whatever happens. Um, and again, that's the whole resisting what's best for us. Yeah. Sometimes what's best for us is to rest.
1: You are the, the, the testimonies that I read about you, Kate, before having you here on the show, were so true. Uh, Thank you for being so open, for being so honest, and thank you for your humility. I think that may be the number one thing that I appreciate in a conversation with somebody and having them on the show. Uh, It helps the acceptance of the message so much, and uh, your message is profound. I will be continuing to dig in. I hope we continue to have some discussions and some conversations. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for being here today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. You are a true gem. I could talk to you all day. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Kate.
1: Well, obviously, friends, I really enjoyed this conversation. Kate is just so authentic and insightful. I'll be having her back in episode 913 to talk about her habits. And I think you'll get a ton from it as we talk about some of the changes she's made since this big wake-up call that she had. Again, you can find Kate at E C K M A N Eckman TV, and also TheFullSpiritWorkout.com. Coming up next in episode 912, I asked... If you were offered an opportunity of a lifetime that required you to stop one or two of your daily or weekly tasks and duties and roles, what would you consider letting go of or delegating? Well, Tom Ziegler and I ultimately broke the discussion down into two parts. What task we could literally get rid of or delegate, and also then how could we simply work smarter and more focused and be more productive in the scope of the things that we are currently doing?